0: good morning everyone good morning. that was very nice good morning and welcome to old providence associate reform presbyterian church what a blessing it is to be here with all of you on this well it's a somewhat dreary day isn't it, it doesn't quite feel like november outside but the light of the lord shines forth as he has called us here And again, I welcome you whether you are here for the first time or maybe you've been here your whole life. It doesn't matter. In both cases, it is the Lord that has brought you here. And he's done so because he loves you. You realize that? And his desire is for you to step aside from the mundane day-to-day life and instead to gather together as his people to worship him and be blessed by him. And worship him we shall, but first some announcements First off, let me say thank you to all of you who participated in our trunk or treat last week, um, and thank you always, I don't know if she's even in here, she might be doing nursery things, but to my beautiful wife, Amanda, she is the greatest pastor's wife I could have ever hoped for. Um, she organized the event, what a great turnout we had, what a wonderful time, and also thank you to those of you who helped pull everything together um, for Kim Lunsford's service this past week. It, It was indeed a time of sorrow, but also of joy, as we reflected on the Lord's faithfulness. But thank you to all those who worked so hard. Um, As we think about what lies ahead, y'all, we have a lot going on. It's all in your bulletin, but I do want to point out that we are having a congregational meeting one week from today. Now, it, it should go exactly like the last one went that we had to elect elders, but we are having that meeting in order to elect deacons, and those deacons' names are listed in the bulletin so that you can be praying about that, but we come together one week from today at the start of the service to elect deacons, Um, and so members especially be aware of that. Speaking of members, Faye and Ben Brown joined us last week, and again, we are grateful for that, and if you have interest in joining or you'd like to talk about that, please feel free to, to see me, call me, whatever, talk to one of our elders, but we would love to make that happen. Now, other things that are going on. It's hard to believe but Thanksgiving and Christmas are upon us, y'all. So so be aware of the things going on. We're planning to have our Thanksgiving slash holiday community meal. I believe that's on December the 3rd. There's something in the bulletin about that. If you have not picked up your sheets, they're the orange ones all over the back of the sanctuary, on the table. They're all over the place. You can find them. Please do pick those up because that's going to be here if November was like October, it's a blink and then it's gone. Okay, so it's going to be here very quickly. Other things that are going on: youth group and little lambs are both tonight at five thirty. Choir practice is at three thirty. Got a session meeting at four o'clock. Monday midday is tomorrow at eleven. Wednesday night we have our study and our prayer meeting at six forty-five. We'll be done by seven thirty. Um, We're actually doing a video series on the Protestant Reformation, and and I'm really excited about that. But this week will be on John Wycliffe. Um, So we'd love to have you there. Got a Christian Dead meeting Tuesday night at 630. Too much, y'all. Too much to list, but we're going to make it through. Just be aware of the things that are happening. Now, one more thing, and then we'll begin. Veterans Day is this coming Friday. And of all the ways that the Lord has blessed Old Providence, one of them certainly is by providing us with so many patriots, so many who have served. So if you're a veteran, please stand so that we can recognize you. And we have some in the (laughs) balcony. Gentlemen, we thank you all so much for your service to our nation, um, and not just a nation, but to us here in Spotswood. So thank you for your service. Again, I welcome you all. What a joy it is to have this time together. We are here to worship, so let's now prepare our hearts for worship as Donna leads us in the prayer. Thank you so much, Donna. Our call to worship comes from Psalm 51. And if you recognize that number, this is the psalm that was written in light of David being confronted by the prophet Nathan after his infidelity with Bathsheba. But listen to David's words here. He says, Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you alone have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self and you teach me wisdom deep within Purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. Created me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. My friends, though we are called here today to worship the Almighty God, we come as sinners. Yet we are sinners saved by grace. We have this righteousness. We have this cleanness, not based on the works that we have done, not based for anything that we paid for. Instead, we are washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. And my friends, while we have many causes to be grateful, while we have so much reason to worship, surely this is the chief of these. That in Jesus Christ, there is newness of life. That in Jesus Christ alone, there is redemption. And he has called us to this place to worship him. Let's now go to him in prayer. Our God and our Father, what a blessing it is that you have given us Our salvation that you have given us. So many wondrous gifts that you have given us this time. This time wherein we stop. We leave behind those things that attach to us. Those things that bog us down. Not that they don't exist anymore. But instead we are here to bring them to you. You hear us. You care for us. You love us. And therefore you have given us this time. So please guide us in it. As we lift up songs of praise, as we pray, as we go to your word, please guide us by your Holy Spirit that this time would be beneficial for us, yes, but even more importantly, that this time would glorify your name. We pray these things in Christ's name and we also pray as he taught us to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now as we say the Apostles' Creed together, let me ask you. Christian. What is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen indeed. Now let's stand and sing together. Take your hymnals. or. Use the words on the screen as we sing together. Hymn number 100, we'll sing verses 1, 2, 3, 5, and 6. Don't worry, the words are up here, but let's rise and sing together. Be seated, except for children. Come on down and meet me at the front. righty May have to scooch in today. Yes. Yeah. Good job. Nice and close. That's good. We're still. Oh, oh there we go. Gabe's found a place. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. And how are we this fine Sunday morning? Well, that's good. I hope that everybody has had a good week. I know that some of you had an exceptional week because I saw how much candy you got this past Sunday night at the Trunk or Treat, right? Candy is a great part of Halloween, but, you know, not everything is so great about Halloween because sometimes that's a time when people talk about scary things, right? Lots of scary things out there. One day like today, or on a day like today, when it's kind of dark and gloomy outside, there isn't much sunshine, our minds can wander to those things that might frighten us, right? Some things that we have seen that we maybe shouldn't have seen. And and that's how our minds work sometimes. Sometimes even the dark can be very scary. Is anybody afraid of the dark here? No? Well, Well, let me just give you a little clue. I'll tell you a little secret. Sometimes grown-ups are still afraid of the dark, too. Don't let them tell you otherwise, because sometimes that's the case. But nevertheless, there's the dark. There's lots of things we can be scared of. But did you know that the Bible talks a lot about being afraid and being scared, right? But not only does the Bible talk about being afraid, it also talks about having courage and trusting in the Lord. All throughout the Bible, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we find God talking to his people, right, that means you guys and me too, about all sorts of situations. Some of his people were in very dangerous situations, right? Others faced uncertain situations, right, that things were going on and they didn't understand what was happening and they didn't know what was going to happen. And sometimes unknown things are the scariest things. Other people in the Bible were told to do very difficult things and those can be scary too. Some of these people were in danger Just for believing in Jesus. But do you know that the Bible says the same thing to us as it says to them? The Bible tells us, God tells us, to fear not or to not be afraid. Now, that's easier said than done sometimes, right? Is anybody here afraid of spiders or creepy crawlers? Yeah, thank you for being brave and admitting that. Now, don't worry. I don't have one. I see worry in your face. I don't have one with me. But if I had a spider up here and I held it in front of you and I said, don't be afraid, that wouldn't be very helpful coming from me, right? But when God tells us not to be afraid, we should listen to him always. Because did you know that God is in charge of everything? That there's nothing too big for God or too dangerous for God to handle. There's nothing that frightens God. That's why the only way that we can be uh, uh, that the, we can have courage and not be afraid is instead of being afraid to make the decision to trust in God. Guys, you have a choice. All of us have a choice. When we go through life, when we face lots of different things, when we're tempted to be afraid, we can either be afraid or we can decide to trust. Listen to what God said in Isaiah chapter 41. He says, do not fear for I am with you. Do not be afraid for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will surely help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. You know what that means? It means that God is always with you. God is always there no matter what situation you face. And no matter what you face, God always calls you to look to him, to trust in him, to ask him to help you. And he will. And all because of Jesus. Let me pray for you. Our Father, I thank you for these children, and I thank you for the lives that you have given them and their future that rolls out before them. I pray that you would bless them in it. I pray that when fearful things come, they would remember to trust in you. I pray the same thing for myself and for all of us grown-ups in here, too, because we need that reminder that you're in charge, and you call us to trust in you. Help these children and the rest of us to trust in you always. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys can go. Right this way. now as they are being dismissed, let's take this time to go to our Lord in prayer, focus on his goodness to us, and then I'll lead us in the pastoral prayer. Eternal God and Heavenly Father, what a blessing it is to know and love you. What a blessing it is to know that you are always with us, so that when you tell us to not be afraid, to not fear, we know that you tell us that from your position of ultimate authority, pure sovereignty, where you're in charge of all things. Yet as much as it is a blessing to know and love you, even more so, it is a blessing to be known. And to be loved by you. For your knowledge of us is complete. Not only in what we have done. But it's complete in knowing what we are doing. Seeing through the outside, the facade and seeing to the very motivation of our heart. As we will read in a few moments, you know what we're going to say before we do. And in knowing us completely you love us completely. Oh father you love us so much with a with a love that we can't begin to comprehend because your love is comprehensive it it covers all things resulting in even your sending your son to die for your people to pay for those things that you know about us that we pray that nobody else ever finds out. Give us grateful hearts father as we reflect on who you are and who we are, we recognize that we are so far from perfect. And yet we praise you that by the blood of Jesus Christ, we are cleansed. And not only are we cleansed, we have this right, this right to come to you in prayer, bringing to you not only the things that we want or that we need, but but also the things that, that we want because you love us so much that you desire that we would do both. And so we come to you, Father, with the boldness prescribed in your word, the boldness granted only through the blood of Jesus Christ. Again, Father, we come with grateful hearts as we consider old providence. As we come into this time of the year when different things are happening, we've elected elders and we're grateful for your hand in that process, but next week we elect deacons. Soon enough, we'll be looking at budgets and things like that. We pray that your hand would be upon us that you would guide us through these things, that you would unite us closer and closer together with the purpose, the same purpose, of glorifying you and seeing your kingdom grow. We thank you for the men who have agreed to serve. We thank you for those that are currently serving. And Father, we thank you for the opportunities you give us to testify to your greatness. Please be with us as we do so. But as we face the challenges of this life, we pray that your presence would be here as well. As we think of those that are grieving the loss of loved ones, very recently, we pray for comfort and peace. For the Ritchie family, certainly for the Lunsfords. Father, even for the Benson family as Donna's uncle was taken home very unexpectedly. And even for those that that have not lost loved ones recently, we pray that you would bring comfort and peace Because grief is not linear. We know it's not a point A to point B, but instead, especially around this time of the year, things can come to mind. Wonderful remembrances, but tinged with sorrow that loved ones have gone before us. Assure us of your promise that we will see all those who have loved you again if we trust in Christ. Even so, please give that comfort and peace now. We pray for those that are sick in our midst, that are Uh, recovering from surgeries, that have surgeries yet ahead, those that are just facing the common sicknesses of the day, and and, and certainly we don't forget that COVID is still a real thing, but Father, we pray that you would intervene in all of these, and that you would be at work. We pray Mm -hmm. that you would be at work in our nation as well. As we recognize veterans today, again, we praise you for the service of those members of this congregation who who have dedicated themselves to you, yes, but also defending our nation, serving our nation. Would you bless them mightily? And even from our, denomina- or from our congregation right now, we have many who are in the act of service. Please watch over them. And yet, Father, as election day is coming, we pray that you would watch over our nation. Help us to be ever mindful of the command of your word to not put our trust in princes, And mortal men who cannot save, but instead to trust in you. Even so, we pray that you would be at work and that your will would be done. As we think about our nation, as we think about the world around us, we know that there are problems. And yet, Father, we know that the only remedy to these problems is your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So yet again, let this be a prompting to us to be about your business. Every week we pray that the things of heaven would be done here on earth. We pray that your kingdom would come. And yet, Father, you give us opportunity after opportunity to be a part of this. So let us dedicate ourselves to prayer. Let us be vigilant for the day of the Lord. Let us also commit ourselves anew to sharing the truth of Jesus Christ. And we pray all of these things in his name. Amen. Well, I am excited to continue along with you today in our study on the Holy Spirit as we consider and we continue to ask the question, who is the Holy Spirit? And as a result of asking that question, what does the Holy Spirit mean for our lives? What are the implications of who the Spirit is for you and for me? Now, last week, we really started digging into this. We were in the beginning, Genesis chapter one, (laughs) The very beginning, actually, the first two verses of the Bible, because they point us to the fact that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. And from there, we began to consider what it means that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, how the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son and so forth. But as I considered my sermon from last week, and as I prepared for this week again, it gripped me. Somewhat the the silliness of this, right? And I guess silly is the word for it, that that we have to have these times, that we need to have this focus, because isn't the Holy Spirit God? The answer, of course, is yes. The Holy Spirit is God, the Holy Spirit, part of the Trinity, part of the Godhead. And yet, it seems that we know the least about the Holy Spirit, of the members of the Trinity. And last week we talked about why this is the case, at least to a certain extent, but hopefully in the midst of our study, even though we're only a couple of weeks in, hopefully you've seen just how detrimental the Holy Spirit is to your life, how necessary the Holy Spirit is. After all, again, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God in your life. And where we left off last week was with this wonderful example of the Holy Spirit being the Spirit of God in Psalm 139. And so this is where we are going to pick up this week as we continue to answer this question. Who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit mean for our lives? What does it mean that he's the Spirit of God? So please take your Bibles and turn with me now to Psalm 139. That's where we're going to be today. Psalm 139, we will turn elsewhere also, but this is where we're gonna start. And we're gonna start reading in verse one of Psalm 139. But before we read anything, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Our God and our Father, as we come to your word now, we pray that you would guide us. As I've already mentioned, we come into this territory that, well, it's somewhat mystical, but needlessly so somewhat controversial and again needlessly so instead help us by your holy spirit guide us by your holy spirit help us to see the truth of your word and what it means that your holy spirit is your spirit at work in our lives please guide us now when we pray it in christ's name amen so we are in psalm 139 beginning in verse 1 Hear now the word of the Lord. It says, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up, you understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways before a word is on my tongue. You know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand upon me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I am unable to reach it. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I fly on the wings of the dawn and settle down on the western horizon, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret. When I was formed in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. And we'll stop reading right there. May God bless the reading of his holy, inerrant, and infallible word. Amen and amen. Now, We've just read it, but before we dig into this passage, as we consider that question, who is the Holy Spirit? What does it mean that he's the Spirit of God? I want to give you a moment to reflect first. Take this moment, it's not going to be much time, but take this moment to dwell on the richness of what we just read and its implications for your life. I just want to give you that opportunity, so take that moment. Well, I hope that you've just taken the opportunity that I gave you. It was about 30 seconds. But it was 30 seconds to bask in God's love. Because that's what we've just read about. People say God is love all the time, but how? Well, what we've just read is how in part, at least. What we've just read, you recognize it, is how God views his children. We've just read about our very origin and that God not only formed us, He knows us. He knows you better than you know yourself. And not only that, God is with us right here, right now. And if that doesn't shock you, if that doesn't amaze you, remember who you're dealing with. Wait, We've just read how the God of the universe, the almighty, the ancient of days, we've just read this same God who holds the planets in his hand, who holds the universe in balance. He oversees all the affairs of mankind. We've just read about how he loves us, how he loves us individually, how he loves you. We've just read about the benefits of being one of his children in that God doesn't just know about you. God knows you better than you know you. But how? You might say, well, he's God. He knows everything. There's a relationship aspect to this that we dare not miss, y'all. This is not just about knowledge. This is about knowing. This is about relationship. This is about presence. And how does God do this? By what means is all of this possible? God knows you through the Holy Spirit. His presence in your life. Hence what we've read here. in Psalm 139, David ponders at the beginning of the psalm these wonderful things about God. And he cites them, right? He says, he can go to heaven. He can go to, he can go to Sheol, which is another name for the Jewish underworld. And some say it refers to hell. It doesn't matter. We call it the grave. It doesn't matter where he goes. That poetic language, that beautiful language. He says, I can fly on the wings of the dawn, chasing the sun all the way to the western horizon. And you're there. My friends, the reason for this is because of God's Holy Spirit. This is who the Holy Spirit is. We left off here last week, but I'll say it again this week. The Holy Spirit is God's presence in your life. So with that in mind, let's now dig into what we've read to gain a fuller understanding of what this all means and what its implications are. Now, I've already alluded to this, but it was David who wrote Psalm 139. Yes, that David, King David. The man after God's own heart. And though David wrote it, this is the word of God. But Psalm 139, again, it starts off by talking about the sovereignty of God in those first five verses. How God knows all things regarding this life. And in fact, God ordains all things. As David noted, God knows when he sits down, when he gets up, he knows the words on his tongue before he ever even says it. He says that God hymns him in. That God, in essence, holds him in place and keeps him secure. Security is one of those catchwords in our society right now, isn't it? We're coming out of COVID. A lot of insecurity there. I don't know if y'all have noticed things are a little bit more expensive than they used to be. A little bit of insecurity there, right? If you have a 401k and you've dared to open it and look at that, it becomes a lot more insecure. And yet... David talks about real security here. Forget about things on the national scale. You may be facing things individually, personally, questions in life, situations that you're going through right now. And if you had to pick one word, it probably would not be security to describe what you are feeling. And yet, this is what David points to in these first five verses. Then in verse six, he says how wonderful it is that in the midst of everything, he can't fully understand God. He says, this wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I am unable to reach it. And as a result, there's a lesson for us here. You know, sometimes it is the sovereignty of God that rattles us most. And it really should be the opposite. You see, As situations unfold, we tend to ask questions and have ponderings of our own. And sometimes God is in our crosshairs when we start playing the blame game, right? The blame game is closely associated with the pity party. That's for another sermon. But in the blame game, we are tempted to ask, how could? Why would God let this happen? How does this glorify God? What, what good could possibly come from this? Why did this happen financially speaking? Why did this turn take place in my job? Why doesn't he love me? Why doesn't she love me? You know, as we think about who wrote Psalm 139, we come back to David and he had those situations in life, didn't he? Oh, my goodness, yes, starting at the very beginning. Remember, it was God that chose David to be the next king of Israel, which is wonderful, right? Well, except for that little thing that there was a current king and he wanted to kill David, all right? David could have blamed God at that point, but he didn't. You know, sometimes David faced situations of his own creation, like that bit about Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite. That's one of the reasons I read Psalm 51 today. That terrible time when David, king of Israel, was confronted by Nathan the prophet about the man with only one little lamb and the thief that came and stole it. And he had to hear those words, you are the man, David. You know, David could have blamed God even there. I never said the blame game was logical. I could have blamed him. But as we reflect on what David said in Psalm 139, what do we find instead? We find that David is filled with gratitude that he can't fully comprehend God. That he can't fully grasp why God does what he does. You all know one of my favorite books is Moby Dick, right? As, As Father Maple said in Moby Dick at the end of his great sermon, he asked, For what is a man that he should outlive the lifetime of his God? In other words, who are we? that we should fully understand God, that we should be able to put God in a tidy little box with a bow on top to be unwrapped whenever we want Him. Hasn't God, in fact, told us? Isaiah 15, 5, 9, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Yes, David shows us here the difference between someone that loves and trusts God and someone who doesn't. For as David contemplates all of these things, it would have been his own life. That was going through his mind. And yet he praises the Lord. We talked about this last week. But but we fool ourselves if we think we're going to understand everything. And, and be able to plot everything out on a timeline just so. As David ponders God's knowledge. God's ways. He is grateful he doesn't get it, and David isn't alone. We find the same thing from the Apostle Paul in Romans 11. We find the same thing from Job in Job 38 when God confronts him out of the whirlwind. So as you dwell on the sovereignty of God, why God does what he does, how God does what he does, as you examine your life, are you grateful Now, that's not the main thrust of this sermon, but I can't preach through these first verses and not ask this question in light of what we see on display. Are you grateful? But it's in that next verse, verse 7, that David really lays it down, and he asks that rhetorical question which we asked last week. He asks, where can I go from your spirit? And he's talking to God. Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. And he goes down the list at that point. Now, again, you and I today are asking the question, who is the Holy Spirit? What does it mean that He is the Spirit of God? Well, as I said last week, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is God's presence in your life. But realize this, and this is what we didn't get to last week that I couldn't let pass by. This is where we pick up today. When we talk about the Holy Spirit's presence and what it means that He's the Spirit of God in your life, we need to be specific about something. And what we need to be specific about it's how the holy spirit works know this all right listen to me when we talk about the spirit's presence the holy spirit's presence is not passive we're not talking about the Holy Spirit as just being a feature in your life to be used when you want, like he's some celestial, divine AAA card. You know, you got AAA. Oh, I locked my keys in my car. Better call AAA. Don't treat the Holy Spirit like that and say, oh, my life is falling apart. Better call on the Holy Spirit. That is not how the Holy Spirit, being the Spirit of God, works. According to God's Word, it is the Spirit of God that, getting back to verse 5, that hems God's people in, that encircles us, that is the hand of God on us as God carries out his will in your life. According to David in our passage, the Spirit is comprehensively involved in life. And guess what? If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is comprehensively involved in your life. That means totally Completely involved. That means there isn't one component of your life. There isn't one feature of your life that's out of reach by God through His Holy Spirit. And that includes the things that you'd rather not think about. That includes those things from the past that you scratch your head and you wonder why. That might even include today when you woke up and said, though you might not have articulated it in this way. You might have thought, you might have felt, I didn't know life would be like this. You know, sometimes there's just a sigh that we can make, but God sees through the sigh. He knows what we're facing. There isn't one feature of your life that's out of reach for God by His Holy Spirit. So as a result, the implication of this text is that your relationship with the Holy Spirit is of utmost importance importance your level of trust in the holy spirit is fundamental to your well-being your level of reliance on the holy spirit is crucial and as a result submitting to the holy spirit is crucial for your life now i don't want you to be nervous this is something that again we don't often talk about in the presbyterian church but it is a thing you know submitting to the spirit Consider our passage, Psalm 139. Isn't the overall tone that of submissive gratitude? David knows that God's Spirit fills and directs his life, and he's grateful for it. David knows he can't run from the Spirit or hide from the Spirit, and he shows forth his gratitude. So we know that submitting to the Spirit is present in Psalm 139, but it's not unique to this passage. In fact, You can see a thread of submission to the Holy Spirit all the way through God's word. A thread of of knowing that the Spirit of God is God's presence in our lives. Consider those who submitted to the Spirit. It begins with Adam and Eve cast out of the garden, trusting in God to provide, right? It goes to Noah in building the ark. We cannot forget that act of submission. What about Abraham when he's told to look to the stars? It was him submitting to the Holy Spirit that led him to trust that God's word was good, and thus becoming the father of God's people. What about Moses submitting to God's spirit, both when he called him to go and deliver his people, but also as he led God's people? My goodness, the the list goes on and on of those who submitted to the spirit, of those who obeyed God and lived a life of faith. And it's not unique to the Old Testament. In fact, the early church, you see, continued on trusting in God and submitting to the Spirit. We even find explicit instructions about this in 1 Thessalonians 5. So go ahead and turn there with me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians as a letter to the church in Thessalonica. And if you know anything about chapter numbers in 1 Thessalonians, you'll know chapter 5 is right there at the end. Now, I've said this often before in here. Realize that when the New Testament writers wrote, they were always in danger, right? They did not know about the next letter that they would be able to write. They're serving Christ Jesus, who was crucified. They remembered his word saying, don't think more highly of yourself than your master. They persecuted me. They will persecute you too. So as we read this, the last chapter, or at least a portion of it from First Thessalonians, realize the gravity that of all the things that the apostle could write, Of all the things he could say to the church in Thessalonica, he said this. We're going to start reading in verse 12 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It says this. There we go. It says this. It says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace amongst yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seeks to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit do not despise prophecies but test everything hold fast to that which is good abstain from every form of evil now we're going to stop reading right there let me ask you did you catch it you might say wait a second it doesn't say anything about submitting to the holy spirit and you're right well technically in terms of language But instead, to be specific, we do find the Holy Spirit, and we find a very clear instruction in 1 Thessalonians 5.19 when Paul says, and this is God's Word, when it says, do not quench the Spirit. It's there that we find the call to submit. The question is, what does it mean to quench the Holy Spirit? You know, we don't use that word very often, do we? In fact, about the only time we hear it used is in regard to thirst and most often we hear about it used with Gatorade right the original thirst quencher I don't know if you like Gatorade I love the stuff Um, Isabella was under the weather a couple of weeks ago and so we had to buy her some Gatorade and 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 no I'm not being paid to advertise for Gatorade in fact Gatorade if they see this will probably say we'd rather you not mention our name in any of your sermons anymore but nevertheless I'm going to say it I remember uh, talking to Isabella about Gatorade. I remember going golfing with my grandfather. And this was in the low country of South Carolina. If you think I'm sweating now, let me tell you. Anyway, we would go golfing all day. And then finally, at the end of the day, we'd go to the clubhouse and let me pick out something to drink. And they had Gatorade in cans exactly like that. And I still remember drinking that cold Gatorade, the thirst quencher. And it really does quench thirst. The the, the term quench, if you look it up in the dictionary, says it's something like um, to satisfy or to extinguish. Gatorade satisfies your thirst. It extinguishes it so you're not thirsty anymore. Again, thirst quencher is a good name. But bringing it back to 1 Thessalonians 5.19 and the command to not quench the spirit. What God's word says is to not quench extinguish the spirit do not hamper the spirit the the, the spirit in other words do not conclude that you are satisfied and so the spirit can go home well let me be real don't do with the holy spirit what we're tempted to do with every other part of life which is compartmentalize Where we have these different roles that we take on throughout the week. And we take something off the shelf, put it on. When we're done, we put it back on the shelf. Sometimes we're tempted to do that with Sunday morning. The Bible says don't do that. Why? Because if you quench the Spirit, quenching is concluding that you are finished. And again, we're back at the Holy Spirit being another compartmentalized thing in your life. And the disaster that that is. How does that idea match up with what we've read? Take Psalm 139. How does that match up with David's gratitude that the Spirit is always there in every part of his life? Put simply, this doesn't match up, this idea of quenching the Spirit. Instead, we are to submit to the Spirit. We are to be open to the Spirit. And you might say, okay, great, how? Well, put simply, that's what the rest of our text in 1 Thessalonians is all about. Think about what we just read. If you want to know how to submit to the Spirit, listen to what's written by Paul in Thessalonians. He says in verses 12 and 13, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. You want to know how to submit to the Spirit? And I've got to be honest, this is a little uncomfortable for me because I are one, right? But if you want to submit to the Spirit, you've got to submit to your elders. And no, I don't mean those that are older than you, though that is important as well. What I'm talking about is the elders of this church. If you want to submit to the Spirit, you need to submit to your pastor. And this is uncomfortable for me to say, because again, I am him, but I didn't write this. This isn't my deal. It has become my deal through the Lord, but but this is what the Lord has commanded Y'all, I'm not going to get into it, but it's not easy being an elder. And I can tell you it's not easy being a pastor. I had the honor of doing James's um, installation service when he became pastor at Edgemont. And I got to give the charge to the congregation and to the pastor. And I said to James, being a pastor is not a job. It's a life. It's an existence. It's an identity that you never escape no matter where you are. And it's the basis of everything that you have to do. And it's rooted in the fact that I love you. And I'm here to serve you. But forget about me. When you take off on the pastor and the elders. When you're a grumbler and a complainer or a gospel or whatever. You quench the spirit. Because God has put me and the elders in your life. So that we can do what we're called to do. The elders to rule and govern the church. And I have been entrusted with the grandest honor. Of preaching and teaching the mysteries. Of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to love you while I do that. But y'all, that's not the only way to not quench the Spirit. What we find also at the end of verse 13 is the command to be at peace among yourselves. To love each other. God has united you together in this church. Live like it. If you don't, you'll quench the Spirit. And God's Word goes on from there about submitting to the Spirit. Again, how do you submit to the Spirit? Look at verses 14 and following. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, think about those things. There's a lot of them. They're wonderful things, but they're hard. The fact is that if you want to submit to the Spirit, you have to live a Spirit-led life, because if you're not being guided by the Spirit, if you're not in the Spirit, there is no way you will ever make a run at these things, much less do them. You know, the God's word gives us all of these commands, but it also gives us the promise of the presence of God's spirit. This is why submitting to the Holy Spirit is so important. Well, this is the requirement for us. We'll never do it on our own. We will only do it by the Holy Spirit. And the capstone is put on the whole subject when we're told to not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now do you see? Do you see why David back in Psalm 139 speaks of the Spirit of God, hemming him in, holding him? Do you see why he can go nowhere from the Spirit? David isn't just talking about God's omnipresence. He's talking about what it means to live a Spirit-led life, submitting to the Spirit of God. Now you might be saying, well, so what? Why does this matter? This matters because being confronted with who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does, I must ask you, do you live a Spirit-led life? Are you submitting to the Holy Spirit? Before you answer, before you answer, evaluate yourself in light of what we've just read because here's the truth and it's a hard truth, but I love you enough to tell you, if you examine yourself And you do not find any of the fruit of the Spirit. If you look at this list of things we've just been told to do in 1 Thessalonians 5. And you say, I don't do those things. If you look at what David said in Psalm 139 about cherishing the fact that we cannot fully understand God. And if you know you're angry with God, if you despise Him, if you're running from Him, if you tell Him again and again that you have no use for Him, and I know you wouldn't say it in those words, but if you have no use for His Word, guess what? You don't have any use for them. And it comes down to this. If you don't care about the Spirit, you don't know Jesus. It's a hard truth, but I love you enough to tell you If you don't care about these things that God's word says, you don't have the spirit. And if you don't have the spirit, you don't know Jesus. Again, I didn't write this. We saw it two weeks ago. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So evaluate yourself. And if you know that you don't know him, if you want the spirit, I'm here to tell you it will only be through Jesus Christ that you will have him. Turn to him. Confess your sins. Ask him to save you and he will. Receive the free offer of the gospel. And if you want to come and talk to me about this, I'll be right out there afterwards. We will talk. I'd love to. But if you have done this already, examine yourself. Search yourself. People ask this question of the church so often. They wonder why the church can't be like it was in the good old days and why the the world has fallen apart and why this and why that. It comes down to submitting to the Spirit. It comes down to a lack of faith in the Spirit, a relationship with the Spirit. Because when we read these commands, to be patient with everyone. Goodness, y'all know how hard it is to be patient with somebody like me? Ask my wife. She'll tell you, right? And I'm just using me as an example. When you put a whole parcel of us together like this, it's even harder to be patient with one another. It's hard to get messy and to bear with one another. And when we try to do it on our own without the Spirit, we fail. You want to know what's going on? That's what's going on. But if you know Jesus Christ and if you'll examine yourself and you're honest with yourself and you know you're deficient in these areas, ask the Spirit who dwells within you to help you. Ask the Spirit to guide you. The Holy Spirit is in the business of changing the unchangeable. I know. I'm one of them. This includes my life and yours. But it all starts With God's presence. And it all builds. It all flows. Out of submitting to the spirit in your life. Let's pray. Our God and our Father we praise you. For your presence. We praise you for your promise. We praise you that you are actively there. With us. Amongst us. In us. Through us. By us. Please. Convict us. Help us to see our great need to not only do these things in Ephesians, or excuse me, 1 Thessalonians 5, but to do these things in and by and through your spirit, for otherwise we won't do them. Instead, work in us now. Renew us again and again. And for those that do not know you, draw them to yourself, Father, please. And we pray it in Christ's name. Now as we close this time together, let's take our green Bible song book. We will sing Bible song number 105, The Penitence, Prayer, and Confession. Bible song number 105, please stand with me as we sing. the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace, both now and forevermore. Amen.